How do we give worth to something? That sounds like such a crazy and loaded, just general question, doesn't it? But I'm serious. Okay, so the reason this is even coming up as a subject that I want to talk about is a few weeks back, well, maybe it's been longer, maybe it's been a few months. Um, for any of you that are involved in the art world and have heard about NFTs, they're called non-fungible tokens. It's a concept where an artwork is created, whether that's physically or digitally, and a digital end product is created. It's like a, like a really high-resolution JPEG. And then there's a document that is, that is uh, attached to it that essentially can say that this can be traded, sold, and this is the sole digital copy and original of it. And I was really fascinated by it. But what I was much more surprised by was the backlash that came about with it. And I believe I've talked about these before. And it seemed like it might be just, you know, as much as I hate to say this, a fad that was going to be coming along and then fading along down the road. Now I'm starting to see something happen that I hadn't really anticipated, but I'm interested to see how this is going to push the whole concept of what we put worth into along the way. Hi, I'm Mario the Artisan Rogue, and this is Radio 74. This is a podcast where it covers a lot of the stuff that I go through as an artist, but also things that are happening out in the world and things that I think might be kind of interesting to talk to you guys about. So I had gotten an email today from Mattel Creations. Um, as a longtime pop culture and toy lover, I subscribe to a lot of different things. And one of them was Mattel. Okay, now Mattel has a whole bunch of different things. They've been coming back strong with Masters of the Universe recently, but they just sent out this email that had to do with Hot Wheels. Now, Hot Wheels have never really gone out of style. If you go into any toy aisle or anywhere, you'll find guys that are anywhere between their 20s to far older buying, at times, armloads of Hot Wheel releases. I've known quite a few different collectors in my life who are wonderfully obsessed with it you know and then there's others that are way into it uh even for a hobby and that's a whole other discussion but the email um there's going to be a, i guess a bidding that's happening for these three as, now understand i've only had the chance to kind of look at this and a little bit on the website that they did have on the email looking at it the email basically reads with these three great renders of a silver a green and a black car with some skull and crossbones on the side they're cars that you know if i saw them on the shelf i'd be like oh well these are kind of cool because i do like looking at the styles and designs of toys in general i think that that is something that's often overlooked a lot of people will look at it like well that's just kid stuff and i'm like well yeah but adults make this stuff and they have to understand everything that goes behind it that can appeal to either younger generations or older collectors and everything in between so the email starts off by saying drop starts 6:22:21 at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So four days, 17 hours, eight minutes, 50, and now seven minutes, 57 seconds. And it's and it reads like this. Say hello to our one of a kind Hot Wheels collectible NFTs. Mattel Creations is celebrating three iconic and uniquely Hot Wheels cars with an all new way to collect for the first time we're taking legendary hot wheels digital by offering nfts introducing the hot wheels nft garage where physical cars are reimagined as unique highly coveted pieces of digital art 
And on June 22nd, the Twin Mill, Diora 2, and Bone Shaker have been minted in the form of three one-of-one one NFTs dubbed the First Editions. Now, brand and digital collectors can participate in a virtual auction to own these exclusive cars featuring their original debut designs in a completely new way. Bidding for each NFT starts at 99 cents, which was the original price of Hot Wheels in 1968. This is your only chance to own three one-of-one one exclusive pieces of Hot Wheels history. Edition one-of-one one Hot Wheels Twin Mill, the first editions. And then it goes on. So one is the Twin Mill, the other one is the Dior 2, and then the, my favorite out of the three is the Hot Wheels Bone Shaker. So evidently these are cars that have existed as physicals and may have been mass-produced. I don't know enough about Hot Wheels, but that's what I'm able to you know, get out of this email as I'm reading it here. And then they're, as it's stated, they're going to have this auction and I see that things are starting at 99 cents. If you click on the link in the email to go to the website, it's big, it's expands, it's just fantastically well-designed. It's, you know, your, but again, your average website. And uh, I'm going in there and it's the same sort of marketing thing. But when you scroll down a little bit, it starts with the Hot Wheels Twin Mill. And there's kind of a, uh, animated video just showing like you know a 3d blowout so the car parts blowing apart coming back together all the internals just like you would expect any designers to be you know creating these things in cad re and pre-rendering them and looking to see how the parts would be going together on like some high-end collectible well this has been applied to these hot wheels cars and i imagine that somewhere along the line the company was probably like you know these could carry some worth. I mean, this is a unique way to look at the parts and pieces without having to take apart your own Hot Wheel. Being able to celebrate Hot Wheels and also, you know, be able to continually look at it as much as you want and have this unique, you know, token-based concept, this digital format that is uniquely your own. And I'm going to follow this and probably do a follow-up on this to see exactly how far this goes because I'm I'm to be completely honest intrigued by this and here's why when this started a few months back that you know the first you know larger pieces of work were selling from like different artists and stuff you know they were making these one-offs and stuff and i've seen a few people on tiktok doing the same thing you're uh the 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 uh expected blowback was there you get people that are angry that you know and i'm going to be completely honest and open on this it was it's it just reminded me a lot of when um, different companies, what, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, were really trying to push to have things like the Mac or just PCs in general come into design firms. You'd have a lot of the old guard or people that were coming in like, I just went to school for these years and I've been doing this all this long time and I love working in RubyLith and I, you know, all of these things. Right. I get it. I understand. But it seems to me that certain types of media can be taken as invasive while others not even close. And it, I think it all has to do with presentation. I'm interested to see how this is received by the Mattel fandom, especially the Hot Wheels collectors, because the bidding war could get crazy and it could be the first foray into seeing, well, how much worth is a digital file? But this is something we should be asking ourselves daily. There are plenty of people in this world. And I remember whenever I were, used to work with people that developed apps and the numbers early on when the iPhone first came out. 
about how many people would buy apps, but then quickly delete them off the phone for room for photographs or other apps or whatever. And it really never dawned on them that, you know, it was like paying for an experience. It was like going and buying a cheeseburger and you eat it and it's one and done, you know, that sort of a thing, which that in and of itself is a physical thing that suddenly, you know, doesn't exist after you're done eating it. You know, you can't re-eat the burger. And I thought that was kind of a weird thing that depending on what you're talking about, people can get really up in arms about this. And I remember that there was a lot of people, I had a colleague of mine that very much was excited. I remember whenever Netflix first came out and the advent of streaming video and all of these things, right? Well, in my head, I have another, you know, skewed group of friends that I am much more aligned with in that physical media is everything for me. Now, I do have, for existence with Hot Wheels, a few from my childhood. There's, they're sitting over on a little display case on the other side of the studio. And um, I don't believe for a second that if I had them as NFTs, I would enjoy them half as much as the paint-chipped, just completely almost uh, unrecognizable formats that they're in now. When I was a kid, I played with them in the dirt, beat them up, everything else like that. But I, again, it wasn't for a collectability issue. You know, it wasn't anything like that. So, you know, toys get beat up, things like that happen. Clearly, this is aimed at collectors who want something unique, digital and shareable and worth bragging rights. And I can see where that's kind of cool. But when we go to things that are like in our more everyday consumption from movies to downloads of music to other things like that, I prefer. In fact, there was um, an opportunity I'd caught up with the musician Butch Walker, who is a phenomenal producer and all around guitarist, musician, you name it. He's amazing. He had uh, I had first discovered him in the 80s when he was a guitarist for the group South Gang. And I'd followed his career over the years. And I am stunned by the songwriting and, and incredible lyrical poetry that that man writes and produces and creates. It's, it's just stunning. He is a, a true, uh, magician in that, in that vein. Uh, really a craftsman. I shouldn't say magician because, you know, it, it keep me, I really, I'm always stunned by that sort of thing. So he, um, he and a lot of others that I, you know, follow that are musicians and other artists will release physical things that you can buy. And that was something I really wanted. It was great that I was going to get the digital version of his album when I purchased it. And I bought it about a month ago. I still have yet to listen to it because I heard everything online. So I was just keeping it over to the side. And at some point in time, I'll open it up and pop it in the CD player in my truck and go from there. But I wanted to own the actual CD. Now, I understand that there's plenty of people that will sit there and argue that, you know, well, CDs eventually can fade or rot and there's all kinds of issues that can come along with them. And I understand no media lasts forever. But I also think about media that exists solely in a magnetic digital forum. Now, I have no problem with it. I can completely understand the ease and the compatibility and the complacency that we have in knowing, hey, as long as I have service. 4G, 5G, Wi-Fi, broadband, whatever, you can access all of this stuff on your phone. I mean, entire foundations of entertainment from Netflix to YouTube to um, Spotify are all based on this concept, you know? And the crazy part is we already pay for the concept of accessing these digital libraries to watch it. So in turn, I can see where that is. You're paying for the experience. You're paying for the ability to have access to these 
media formats and these um, mediums that have been created so that you can watch them anywhere you want. And I've been grateful for that. I've now just sat in an airport not that long ago watching stuff, playing games, doing things like that. I love that. But there's also a reason why, and this is true in my collection, I have literally hundreds of of Sega games and computer games and physical things like that. I have an old Windows 95 machine that I still keep running just to play games in their original state so I don't have to run emulators. That's not for everybody. And that's not me, you know, coming off trying to be elitist. Not at all. I'm, you know, it's almost borderline hoarding, I guess. But for me, I love old technology. I love the science behind it and where it came from. The fact that something like this has now been, like, and I'm going back to talking about NFTs, the fact that something like this is coming out and now a major corporation like Mattel is really kind of supporting it. I think other companies have started doing similar things, right? And, but this is the first time that I'm seeing something kind of breaking out and taking something that is inherently part of pop culture on a very deep level. I mean, we're talking like what Hot Wheels go back at least until the fifties, I believe. And, um, I think that the biggest thing for me is that seeing something like this makes me wonder how long before this becomes much more accepted. Now, I remember the very first time that a buddy of mine had shown me an app where it was put out by Topps Trading Cards, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, there's all these different ones. And you can you just, you know, you can either uh, play some in-app games, I believe it was, or you can, you know, upload. Um, you could use PayPal or just any way to fund your little collection and you could, and every day they would tease you by giving you a couple of different uh, free packs of cards that you virtually zipped your finger across the top, tore the packet open digitally, and then saw what you got inside. And back then some of the original, very rare cards in these things pre NFT were things. I remember one being a, a, like a holographic version of Han Solo and Chewbacca in the cockpit of the millennium Falcon, which I believe the, the reason that that was that way was because there was a rare card, a holographic card or a foil card that was in the original tops release of, I think it was empire strikes back or new hope or something. I'm not sure back in the day that had that effect on it. Don't quote me on that. I, but I think that was the connection they were making there. Nonetheless, aside from it existing on your app, I don't believe there was any other way aside from trading within the app for this official pre NFT faction you know, to exist anywhere else. I mean, once the app was done, what were you going to do with it? I mean, even if you did buy it off of somebody else, okay, as long as you have the app running. But the problem with that is obsolescence is planned by a lot of technology companies. I mean, it's terrible to say that, but that's also something that having been somebody who's really into older vintage technology, you end up having to turn to specialists to repair old video game systems, computers, um, that knowledge starts to go away after a while. But I also like to think that this goes all the way back to whenever companies were really upset about the introduction of the VCR. Now, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, there was a point in time where if you didn't see a movie in a theater, it was one and done. That was it. You were, you were just SOL. You were, you weren't going to see it again. And, um, for those of us that were born in the late 70s and 80s, we were, the, you know, we got to see the development of the video cassette recorder bringing media home. But there were a lot of these studios that at that point in time were like, are you crazy? Who? This is going to just make 
piracy run rampant for television shows and all of these other things and how there would be so many problems. Now, understand that I've seen both sides of this factor because they were saying that there was value in this, you know, this media that when they wanted to rebroadcast, if they rebroadcast it, they could do that. But that was the first inclination of seeing something where the people at home didn't really have any control over it. You just turned on the television and hopefully you made it home in time to watch your favorite show or something like that. The VCR allowed people to be able to redistribute their time and manage their lifestyle to be able to still have enjoyment and entertainment, but also be able to have a life and not have to sit around the television Thursdays and Friday nights every single time to watch something. Of course, most people still did that because they wanted to watch the show. But if it was really funny or if it was really good or there was a movie that was in rerun or something, they wanted to be able to capture that and see that. And of course, then movie companies came along and decided, you know what, let's start releasing these movies again. Granted, a lot of them were high in price for people to be able to enjoy at home on video cassette recording. Now, it's interesting that it started out in a very bizarre way with come you know the the studios in general not wanting to release something that they had a grip on so that that way people had control over it now they're offering that in tandem saying here's these streaming services here's all this other stuff the world is at your fingertips you can see all of these things and just for this low low price of whatever and now it's back up to the point to where maybe you're not paying for multiple cable channels but you're almost having to pay for multiple streaming services just to find the stuff you want and the unfortunate truth of that is most of the things that i really enjoy aren't even on a lot of these streaming services if they are i have to figure out which one i have to rely on forums and facebook pages and things like that to figure out exactly where and when and how and all of these things right so going back to the whole nft thing i think that we're on the cusp of seeing this become a truly legitimized thing. The only thing that is holding it back is that most people will hear that, that, you know, like any new technology, any new concept, any new thing coming along going, well, how does it work? Well, when you start to say, well, it's a non-fungible token, that's going to shut down a lot of people. You know, they're just going to be like, I, I don't even know what that means. What, what is that? And then you have, you know, like me, when I first heard about it, I had to Google it and take a look and see what, you know, what it was going on. Um, but, you know, the whole thing is that, uh, you know, change is just uncomfortable. It really is. But it's interesting to see that historically, especially in this country, corporations, big and small, have driven trends. They always will. They always have. It is up to us how much we adhere to them and or like them or dig them. You know, some things are fantastic, you know, successes. Some things are horrible. Pepsi crystal. And when that sort of thing happens, you know, it's all presented in a format that maybe if not digital is at least existent only for a little bit of time, whether it's a print ad or something. And this is all influence. I think NFTs are starting to follow to be like this. I was going to say that they were starting to follow, but I think they're actually starting to pave a new road where it's not only influence, but it's also this thing that exists in a way that like movies like ready player one showed things like the matrix have hinted at it. You know, lots of science fiction and fantasy stories have talked about these things that may exist, you know, literally in places that could be called like, like one type of Bitcoin Ethereum, you know, it could, it, it just exists in the ether. These it's just such a weird and abstract concept. 
And I often think to myself, how far can that go? You know, like, let's be real. Let's say that, you know, just like Ready Player One, you're in game. And to make a vehicle work, you have to purchase a certain high end set of tools to make your stuff, your gameplay, your possible career. I mean, we have gamers now that thanks to Twitch and YouTube streaming, they are making a living doing this. Now, understand, this is still far beyond me. I like to play games online. I don't stream. I pre-record and I edit down. And I like playing games and talking about them. And I'll post small clips to, you know, TikTok. And I'll keep them, for the most part, on YouTube as playthroughs. Just little quick reviews of what I've seen and that sort of thing. And I always try and reconnect it back to art. It's never really dawned on me that anyone would want to watch me playing video games. I don't really watch too many people play video games. There's a few that I will, and that's fairly entertaining, but, you know, it, it, it's kind of hit or miss with me. And that's also an experience that is, again, digital, and it exists only in a few formats. And I'm not going to be able to turn on my Roku and necessarily see it on there unless I have YouTube on there. You know, there's just no direct, real, easy way to access these things without being in the know. I guess what I'm wondering is, and this was something I brought up in a Mattel fan forum, this is something that's happening with Hot Wheels, but imagine if this sort of stuff starts to happen in other ways. And something that I thought that would have been kind of unique to see would have been like, you know, let's say that, um, you know, especially with the with what was happening with COVID, right? What if there was a marketing factor that came into play? You know, people couldn't go to these shows, but they really wanted to get stuff, right? And they wanted a thing. Well, I could easily see where game companies, toy companies would come along and say, you know what? Go ahead and purchase this limited edition NFT. If you buy the first 100, the first thousand of this thing that we're offering you, you will get a 3D explodable version of it that you can keep. It'll have an NFT factor to it, you know, like with all the with all the digital uh, coding involved to keep it uniquely your own and numbered and all these other things. But you're still going to get a physical thing. Now, I think that's actually rather cool. I could also see where that NFT could be a specially numbered game that exists. But I also see where there's some problems in that. I remember whenever, um, oh God, I want to say it was Yuji Naka. I can't remember exactly who it was. My name's, my brain is just kind of going right now. But the guy that invented and created the world of Shenmue for the Sega Dreamcast. There were there was a sequel to it, and then a third one that was Kickstarter funded. Now that one ran into a lot of problems because people wanted it for Steam. I know I did, but Epic, I think it was Epic Games or something like that. It was another online repository for games, was where it was going to go first, and because of that, you know, they, there was a lot of you know anger because they really wanted to push a digital download version of it. They didn't want to try and press hard copies of it for machines, and I think that the target audience in specific for this game, considering that Shenmue debuted on the Sega Dreamcast in 1999, you know, like a, around that time, you know, like that was 99 was the release year, but Shenmue came out later. So this is an older demographic, an older crowd. Okay. That was wanting to celebrate this game. That was on like, I think it was 128 bit architecture with all of this crazy stuff going on. There's a storied, concept behind the entire history of Shenmue. It was almost a, a Sega Saturn game. There's a lot of fans like me that know a lot of this stuff and have been really waiting for these future chapters to come out. And when I, you know, heard, because at that point in time, I think I was actually, you know, low on income. I think I was really in between jobs when that Kickstarter came out. I just put in for a few things like just 
I, I don't remember what tier I went into. I think it was that was the first one I ever did, just blatant support. I wanted to see the game get made and hopefully be able to afford it later. And um, But I remember a lot of people getting really upset that they wouldn't get a physical disc for their PC. There were some people that didn't give a damn. They were like, I don't care. Is the game done is all I care. Now, the game came and went, and you know, not a lot of accolades rained upon it. It kind of stayed very close to its original gameplay and didn't really change. It didn't really update to match what a lot of modern games, like something like Red Dead Redemption or something like that would be. And I think some people reviewed it and called it clunky or slow or extremely painfully retro. And that's sad. But again, not here to talk about that, but to talk about the fact that this is something that was, you know, akin to an NFT in the fact that it primarily existed from everything I could see and everything I remember as a digital asset. My question is, what happens whenever these computers and stuff start to go away? What happens when all of this stuff is gone? Now, that makes me sound extremely paranoid, but it's true. I, and I'll give you a really good example. So there's a specific type of record player slash slide show machine that I am looking for. Hanna-Barbera back in the day. From what I can tell, I don't find a lot of information about these records, but I had reviewed it on my uh, on my second uh, Instagram uh, account, 80s Days Gone By, where I talk about a lot of my personal collection and weird things I have. Well, one of them is a record that has these color slides on there. On the, It's connected to the center of the record. It's the craziest thing in the world. But anyway, so it it's all in this setup and when you would play it there's audio that from what i can understand is voiced by the original voice artists and it they sync with these you know these uh images that are on there that are shown on these slideshow machines but you need a specific machine to play this thing hypothetically i probably could use a normal record player to play the record part of it but I, but the, the little cells that are on there that need to be lit by a bulb and shown on this projector can only be done on this particular type of projector that was manufactured. And I think at that point in time, it was a Mattel toy. I'm not totally sure on that. Um, I'm still doing a lot of research into that. But that medium is done. In fact, I don't think that those, I don't know that those were abbreviated versions of episodes that existed. I don't know what the real history of them is. I'm just starting to learn out, you know, learn and find out what that stuff is and what I can do to finally hear it, play it, you know, anything else like that. Another medium that is physical that has died is, and a favorite of mine is Laserdisc. I have a small Laserdisc collection and there's a couple that I'm still looking for in the hopes that someday I'll be able to afford a good Laserdisc player that will be able to, you know, give me that experience I was looking for that I couldn't afford as a kid. A friend of mine had it, you know, a Laserdisc player. And I remember that that was the very first time I watched the home version of Jurassic Park. It was amazing. It looked wonderful. It was, in my memory, beautiful, you know? So, what do I think will be the long-term factor with this? I think, like all trends, there's going to be a hotspot. And there has already been. The primary reason for NFTs was for selling art and things to people that would be easy to sell to translate over it's the only reason i can explain you know it's also the newness of it why the high prices on some of these initial things i've seen sell out there and you know that it's gaining some ground if a company like mattel is coming along and saying hey we're gonna sell you some stuff 
limited. You're going to auction, and that's why they did it as an auction. I don't think they want to put a price on it. I think they want to see exactly how far this will go with their collector community. I am willing to think that um, there's going to be some pushback, and some people that are like, what in the hell is this? But that won't always be the case. Things tend to normalize out after a while, whether it's just because we get tired of hearing it or we just hear it enough times that it just becomes normal. And, you know, I remember the very first time that when I was a kid, I'd hear concepts I didn't know. I didn't know what RAM, ROM, what is a hard drive? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? What are these things? And I saw my very first personal computer. I think it was an Apple IIe when I was in second grade. And I remember some like something like Frogger or something like that being run on it quickly. Um, but it was a high school kid that came over and showed our class that the one computer in the school was installed in the math teacher's room. And I remember she was mortified. She was like, I don't know what this thing is. Am I going to get cancer from it? Like I, that was, she really was totally nervous having this high powered, like, like space odyssey 2000 prop (laughs) in her, in her classroom. And it was crazy. And now, you know, again, like computers have really become kind of a mainstay. Like you see people well into their seventies and eighties, my own parents who have smartphones and things, and, and they may not know how to use them all, but, you know, it, it's still something to see how that comes along and changes our perception of what worth is. And I think we've become indoctrinated enough into the idea that software doesn't necessarily have to come on a disc. It doesn't necessarily have to come in a physical format like, you know, a, a, a VCR tape or anything else like that. Although there's people like me that still very much value that and they want that. And I'm glad to see companies that are rallying to that point and attempting to save the legacy that exists out there. There are a lot of games that we'll never see, for example, in any sort of digital release ever again. It's just not going to happen. Licensing rights, music rights, um, the, the game studios may not exist. Where did the rights go? Is the original code still around? A good example of that is Sega recently released a remastered version of Panzer Dragoon, an, a wonderful on-rail shooter that came out on the Sega Saturn. They also were working on the sequel, which was Panzer Dragoon Zwi 2, I think is I, my mind, again, going. And I believe that one's in production to get released as well, too, if it hasn't already. But many people, including myself, remember playing this incredible role-playing game called Panzer Dragoon Saga. It spanned four discs. It came in this great case with a big thick book and everything. I still have my original copy. Sealed copies of this game go for $1,000 on eBay. Now mine isn't in mint condition. I made the horrible mistake of lending it to somebody who set a drink on the manual and so that's kind of jacked. But the point I'm making is that I do have a copy of it and it's still from what I understand works. It's rarely seen the light of day. But now I'm just struggling to get my Saturn and my Dreamcast back to working again. You know, time and storage and, you know, replacement of the lithium battery and for the clock and one of them is an issue. And it's just time. And I think about that, like how many people I'm, I'm actually trying to get this done, but how many people don't want to mess with that and are just instead looking for the digital download version of it and then thinking, well, if I never play it, okay, that's whatever. And I think that companies, in this case, Sega has come forward and there are people that work there who have said, no, that code is lost. 
And it's just like prototypes for toys or original artwork that long gets tossed after a particular project crashes and burns or just stops being made or isn't bringing in any revenue. Suddenly the things that should be legacy concepts and items don't matter. I mean, it's such a crazy thing. And But I, at the same time, I can see where NFTs will also free companies up to be able to keep track of these things and keep re-releasing them. If this wasn't the case, we wouldn't be seeing all this retro gaming. I, the other day, picked up Burger Time, a tiny little mini arcade for a game that I believe I've only ever played one time in my life. Only for a few minutes, and I vaguely remember that, and I don't remember if it was that or Dig Dug. But I have a copy of it now, and this tiny little arcade cost me 20 bucks. Of all places, I found it in a grocery store, Aldi. And it's USB-powered, it's tiny, it's about action figure height. And I, I play it now. I just I turn it on quickly. It's plugged in all the time. And I turn it on and play like as fast as I can on it. Are the controls optimal? No. Is the gameplay great? Sure. Yeah, it is. Are the graphics great? Yes. Does it sound like the original? Absolutely. I think it's the actual ROM. But it's a physical thing that I own. And for as long as it lasts, it'll be great. And because that game, Burger Time, was a classic, you know, it will be remembered and reproduced for a lot of different mediums as long as people are interested and as long as they remember games in general can be that way look at how long something like monopoly has been you know published or you know even the basic game of checkers you know somebody somewhere will manufacture and create these things but there's a lot more in game libraries that will never see the light of day a good 80 percent of my game library back there of sega games have never seen release on pc or on any new formatted um platforms from Nintendo to Sony to Xbox. It just, it hasn't happened and they probably never will. Now, whether that's because the code was lost, there's no money, there's no interest or fads have changed. Who knows? But from a cultural standpoint, those things are very important. And I do wonder that because of the fact that a lot of the streaming services today and the way that NFTs are set up, are we artificially curating our experiences in what art media and intrinsically everything else that we have in our lives. Are we self-curating ourselves into a position to where it's going to become a little more narrow, a little less bright, and a lot more bland? I think things are going to start getting a little bit repetitive. And I think NFTs may strengthen that, but they could also end up engendering a greater growth if we let it and if we you know, see where it can go. I'm not saying it's going to save the art world. I'm not saying it's the way to go. But I could see where things like this could end up happening, especially if virtual cons keep on happening. What if something worse than COVID-19 comes along? It could happen. We didn't think COVID-19 was really going to be that big of a deal. It got downplayed a lot. And there's still people that don't believe in it. But what if we come along with something that unabashedly is just so horrifying and so scary that we're going to have another year or two or five of lockdown? Could you imagine that? Now, humanity will eventually figure out a way to get back that moment, to get back that interaction and figure out something. And I think that when situations rise like that, that creates circumstances that people will find ways to rise to the occasion and create ways to interact and see things. Um, NakaCon, in fact, the show that I've got coming up is figuring out a way to do a virtual con. Some other buddies of mine are looking into it as well, too. And they're not the first places I've seen do this. These... Um, there are platforms out there that basically you can pick an avatar and you can use VR head goggles and you can go to a show. And 
are some of the presentation factors a little janky? Sure, they're like JPEGs that don't have a front or and back. They're just a front, you know, shot of an image. It's not really holding a virtual product. It's kind of a weird thing, and I've only experienced it a little bit, but I still find it really rather fascinating. And I think the same thing again will happen with NFTs. I think we're starting to see with companies, you know, approaching them. A wider thing that is going to break open in a lot of other avenues. So, what do you guys think about this? I'd be really interested to know where you guys think this falls because a good number of my friends and I know people that listen to this podcast really are the same way I am. They really like physical stuff. They like holding something. It's tactile. It's physical. It's I own this thing. I paid for this thing. And but at the same time, we still enjoy the uh, accessibility of digital media that really only exists in the ether. Thanks for listening. I'm Mario the Artisan Rogue, and uh, you can find me on a lot of different places from TikTok to YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Uh, I have my brand new blog up. It's now on my website. Um, not brand new blog, brand new blog post about me going to Yellowstone. It was a blast. It was a lot of fun. And I am actually recording this podcast because I want to record, re-record my other Yellowstone podcast. I have some different thoughts on it now. But Take a look at that. It's going to be a multi-parter. It's going to cover me having gone to Yellowstone, my family. It was actually a blast. It was a bucket list thing. A lot of fun. Thank you for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. I cannot say that enough. Thank you. And I will catch you in the next podcast.